I'm like, how can a sport being invented in 1965 be barely known by anyone in the world and then suddenly become the number one participated sport this year in America? This is what makes me happy and motivates me. That's a good enough reason to do it. And I'll try not to go nuts either. Cool. Okay, so do you remember our conversation Pretty before? much, yeah. Like pretty pretty much everything. Do I need to recount it word for word or <laughs> no? Because no, we're talking about a, you know the most yeah I guess the the moving back and also the sort of formative moments in my life to date. Um and and then you ask obviously I think three questions that you ask everyone um, at the end uh, as well. But yeah, I remember it quite clearly it was probably yeah, more talking about yeah family those different moments that shaped me you know between your early 20s to late 20s as you finally mature as a guy which is usually late 20s early 30s into late 30s um and yeah I think it was more about that and everything that I learned and got out of the points bet experience uh, mm-hmm. as well which I was still consulting at the time, but the majority of the experience had been done. The startup in Australia, then moving to the US to, to start things up there and growing at such a rapid rate and having so much responsibility in such a short period of time. It was incredible. Like there's ups and downs, but overall I learned, you know, 15 years worth of management and um, work experience in like a six and a half year period. Mm-hmm. And that's really been a huge part or reason why I've had the confidence to try hopefully go out and do something successful on my own cool okay so before we get to pickleball yeah do you want to give people who haven't listened to that episode like a 20 second summary of what they need to know about Ron to <laughs> understand who you are um it's a great question 20 seconds Jeez. um yeah I think uh, I'm a I've Traveled and lived all around the world. I've worked for a startup for, for seven years of my life, and that's where I learned the most. Um, splitting my time between Australia and then America, New York and Denver, and that was points bet. Um, and I'm just an extremely passionate and driven individual when I get my mind into something. Um, and a lot of people are like that, um, but that's really been the sort of crux of everything that I've done is once I've do it i want to do every single thing in my power to be the best and learn the most um and apply that to to everything that sort of led me um through all the journeys whether it is the two degrees i've done living overseas traveling to 60 countries now um points bed for seven years and then this year which has been a very interesting year of my life do you reckon that comes from either of your parents who are outside? Um, no, they're outside playing pickleball because pickleball is a sport for all ages. They're in this early 60s. Um, no, I think they, they, they will tell everyone that I'm very different to them. I'm a massive risk taker. I love risk. I enjoy everything about taking risks. Um, and they're very risk averse. And I think a lot of people in that generation are. It's a very different generation to, to ours. But, um, I think what they allowed me to do is just confidence. They believed in me from day one. And that took a long time, that self confidence, like anyone else. But eventually, if you hear the same message over and over and over, then you can become the risk taker. So although they're completely different to me, I think that confidence and that unwavering quite annoying love 
that they have because it's overbearing in many ways, it does allow you to, you know, go and, and do things you might not have done before. Mm. But they took a big risk to come here as immigrants. That's a really good point. And that was one thing we discussed. Um, and that was purely for me and sacrifice as well. And I feel that sometimes that they made such a sacrifice so that I would have, and my brother would have the chance for success. And it's not like I think about it day today, but every now and then it does play in my mind that like, make the most of that. Like, don't just sit here and meander and like, you know, have a pretty good life. Like, they gave up everything. They probably haven't had the life that they actually wanted to, if you ask them. They've had a lot of stresses of being in another country, immigrants, hard to make friends and all those sort of things so that I could have the best possible life. As I've gotten older, I'm like, I'm not going to waste that opportunity. And I know that means a lot to them, that they sacrifice, but there's a reason for that sacrifice. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so the last 10 months, what's been happening? You've built this empire. I've built the start of an empire behind us, which is behind us is the first indoor pickleball super site in Australia and I think in the Southern Hemisphere. I just can't confirm that 100%. Um, but, yeah, it's been the, the motivation since I quit Points Bet USA in September last year was to start my own thing. I didn't know what that was going to be, but I knew that I love startups. I love building things from the ground up and my skills uh, and personality are suited to starting things and taking them to a certain point. So I started to look into all these different things and even when we spoke last, I was still exploring, but I had started to put a lot more efforts into pickleball, but it was really just a side thing and it was understanding what the landscape was in Australia how we could replicate the success and boom of the sport in the US, whether it would be the same, whether we would follow the same trends, um, Australia to the US, and then what is going to make us successful. Now, and especially three years from now, when Pickleball ideally, hopefully grows to become an actual industry in Australia because it's not there currently. We um, And so I guess, yeah, everything started in January. We formulated a company and called the National Pickleball League. And um, I was doing that a couple of days a week while I was still consulting. And then quickly by March, I realized if I'm going to do this properly, I need to be all in. And April 7th this year, quit my job for the final time at PointsBet. An amazing seven years comes to an end. And I've been working full-time on Pickleball, um, trying to get it up and running, the National Pickleball League from scratch. Amazing. So what were you exploring other things? Yeah, like to be honest, the, one of the key angles, which a lot of people have when they move back from somewhere overseas, is like what worked well where I was living that could now work back in my home. And so for me, it was like what was being done really well in the US that we could potentially do well in Australia. And I looked into a lot of different things, but then it actually settled on two sports, pickleball and paddle or padel. Like I looked into padel in Australia Do Americans as well. call it padel? Well, someone calls it Padel. <laughs> I just want to sound cultured because I'm not a cultured individual. I can fake it um, with the best of them. But So is Paddle big in the US? It's big in Europe. But yeah, when yeah, I yeah. started looking to Pickleball, everyone's like, everyone asks the same question. Is that Paddle? I'm like, no, no, they're two different sports. A lot of people think they're the same sport. 
And mm. so when I looked into both in Australia, they, they're very much in their infancy phase. Yeah. But paddle, like they have courts at the Australia. They had courts at the Australia. They had one court. One court. And they have four courts in Docklands and they just added two extra courts in Docklands. But like at the time when I was looking into things, let's call it October, November last year, there were 20 courts in Australia for paddle. That's like extremely small. And so actually I looked at it and paddle was even well behind pickleball. But what was the kicker for me is if I'm going in to start something, what are the upfront costs? You know, I'm not a, a billionaire yet. You can't just throw any idea into it. And the upfront costs with paddle are just so much bigger than the glass, bigger, the, glass the fiberglass. Mm-hmm. You know, courts cost upwards of $100,000 just for one. That's okay. a huge, they're small and it's a huge capital investment for still an unknown return how are you going to monetize it is it going to have the same take up in australia like it does in europe yes but you don't know that and who has five hundred thousand or a million dollars sitting around not everyone so just to put into one or two or three or four courts so i looked into that and then you look into pickleball as a comparison it was slightly more ahead pickleball's existed for 10 years in australia since 2013 um but courts are much simpler like theoretically you just need a slab of concrete and then the other thing that Pickleball had against Paddle was that it is just from what I'd seen in America, because I'd seen the start of the growth when I was still living in Denver, is that it was a sport for everyone that I'd never seen before. And it was a sport for people who aren't obsessed with sports that suddenly love this sport. And so to me, that was a light bulb moment that there is a potential here for something bigger than sport. It's like a community driven initiative because so many people can like this sport and I started to see that in America and then the infrastructure isn't that expensive. I'm like, if you do this right, if you market it well, there is the potential here to create potentially the largest community in the next five to ten years that any sport can do because there's no sport that has ever appealed to so many different age groups and genders at once, which is why it has grown from nothing in America in 2019 to now the most participated sport this year and just this crazy phenomenon over the last two years. Okay, so do you want to quickly explain what it is for people who haven't had the pleasure of being taught by you? Yeah, just would you, would you describe that as a, as a pleasure? How would yeah, you give it a, give it a rating out of nine, how you enjoyed your first time playing big boy? You don't have to lie. Um, no, I loved it. It was so much fun. Yeah, so that's about a seven, judging by your tone, but that's perfect, yeah? It doesn't... This sport isn't supposed to replace your favorite sport and become the next big thing that everyone watches. I guess that doesn't answer the question. We'll get back to that. But pickleball is a really simple sport. That's at its heart. It's played on a badminton-sized court, so much smaller than a tennis court, about 60% of the size. Exact same size as badminton. On the outside, yep. Exact same size. It's played with a tennis net, same height, roughly, and obviously shorter. Uh, width-wise, and it's played with a plastic wiffle ball, like an air ball. Yeah, that's the weird bit. Weird that's bit. the bit why it's not a nine for me. Yeah, because it is different to like that beautiful, glorious feeling of the tennis ball coming off the strings. It's not a purist sport, I, I, and I say that being heavily invested in it and loving sport. I mean, anything American is not purist. Probably, basically. exactly, <laughs> uh, which is fair. But essentially, it's 
it's just a really mini tennis or big table tennis and it's just much easier on the body and it's doubles is what's grown to fame because it, it's the most accessible sport because you don't have to cover as much court and you can play with so many different ages but essentially it really is just a mini tennis um, and the only difference is that you obviously serve underarm and scoring is like old volleyball scoring where you only win points on your serve otherwise which I'll, is so fun yeah really fun um, because- and it, and you can hear sorry like me hitting that winner against you, but it's like, don't get a point for it because it wasn't on my serve. It wasn't on your serve, yeah. And thanks for letting everyone know about that winner. But it was a really good shot. That was actually your, like your second sh- shot of the game as well that went cross-court. And I think, you know, the great part as well is if we could hear it, like you can speak the whole time. Like you can... Yeah, because tennis, you can't really chat. You can't really chat. Away. You're too far away. And paddle, it's too loud. T- paddle's too loud and too intense. Like, it's a, I really like paddle, but it's, once again, a bit more of a purist sport. Pickleball, you're sort of here on either end, sometimes really close in the net, and just chatty. You can hear each other's emotions, and it's really made that, that social aspect stand out. Yeah. And then there's just rules with volleying. But- yeah, so there's the main rule is this little, because it's a smaller court, there's this little area next to the net um, that's called the kitchen or the non-volley zone, and you're not allowed to volley out of there because otherwise points would end really, really quickly. Um, but apart from that, once that's done and underarm serve and you've let the ball bounce twice, it just turns into tennis. You can't hit into the net. You can't hit it out. You can't let it double bounce, and you want to hit winners, and you slowly get used to it. The last thing worth mentioning is that it's not a tennis racket and it's not a table tennis racket and it's not a badminton. It's called a paddle, and it's more like beach tennis paddles. If you've ever seen those guys, those Italian men in speedos um, on the beaches, just hitting, you know, playing beach tennis, they're sort of they're not the same, but they're much closer to that than they are, and a bit more expensive. Like this paddle here from a National Pickleball League sponsor, Six Zero, is a is a two hundred twenty five dollar paddle. But they play amazing. Um, They're just different to other racket sports, and they they must last ages. They last ages, yeah. Because paddle, they wear out because it's so... Because you're, like, smashing, smashing the wall and stuff. Yeah, they last ages. You need to take care of them because, you know, you're going to be reaching out and hitting the ground quite a bit. So, like, the edges can get a bit that. But if you take care of them, yeah, they last for a while. And they're an investment in... Like, people play the sport. We've had people in our centre that come five days a week because it is a bit lighter on the body and it is like this addictive sport that people can really get into. So, yeah, you want your paddle to last a long time. And how much are balls? Balls are like $3 or, you know, packs for, for 6 or $7. I mean, we provide the balls. Tournaments, we provide the balls. But eventually, like in the US, when the sport grows to what it is, people buy their own balls in packs, you know, 20, 50, 100. Um, but, yeah, they're, they're air plastic balls. Yeah. And how long do the balls last? Less than the, a lot less than the paddles. Like if you played, like but longer you, than tennis. Um, depends. Like if you're playing a tournament, we change balls every three hours because they just get. Well, they did. They like if you're playing casually now, like people could use the same balls all day. Probably after two days, you change them over, but they just get scuffed, um, and some of them sometimes lose shape. Sometimes they get cracked. Now, there's a lot of technology happening because it's become such a boom sport in the US. Technology is improving in two major areas. Three. One is, of course, paddles and just to get the most spin and the most power and the most control and and all of those sort of things, just like any sport, just those levels up. Two is the balls 
to be deformed less and to last longer and to not crack. But three is also the sound. We don't have that issue right now in Australia because there's not enough courts, which is part of the infrastructure thing that we're trying to solve with our pickleball centre here. But in America, there's courts everywhere now. And for a while, there was a big um, contra- controversy around the sound, the sound. Like you can hear... Like people, a noise neighbours. It's a, it's a noise neighbours and it's in community areas and it's just this pop off the racket. That's because it's a plastic hitting fiberglass or carbon or sometimes other plastics. Now, there's a lot of technology being done to reduce that sound because the courts are still they're popping up everywhere and there's funny lawsuits every now and then about one individual suing their county or their um, where they're living and saying, like, these sounds driving me insane. Only in the US. Only in the US because everyone sues everyone. Okay, and you can play indoor or outdoor. You can play indoor and outdoor. It's become more. It was. It's risen in popularity because of outdoor because it's played on hard courts normally, just like tennis hard courts. The issue with outdoor in recent times, now that it's become more popular, people are taking it more seriously, is wind. The plastic ball um, is is not great for wind, obviously being so light, um, and so indoors is where that's not impacted at all. But the beauty of the sport is obviously playing it in the sun, outdoors, on hard courts. It's not very common to have indoor hard courts, but that's now popping up all over America and Australia as well. And so were you playing in the US? I did. That's where I first played it and I was exposed to it for the first time. So I actually turned it down for six months, which I'm not – I'm not, I'm not ashamed about, but I was one of those skeptics. So people, which is what we're trying to change here, which is like the name pickleball makes it seem like this is a silly sport or a sport that's not going to be anything. Um, I looked at it and I was like, oh, like I like tennis and I already have basketball and footy and all these other sports. Well, I don't need another sport. So I got asked to play for five months, March to August. By friends. Friends as they started to get popular in 2022. Just like for random Random. Matches, yeah, they'd be like, there's six of us because it's so social and you, you you swap pairs. Come down to the local place in Denver, in Cherry Creek. Um, they had a facility there with, with like 20 courts. At the mall. Uh, near the mall, right next to the mall. And 20 courts? 20 courts. Outside. Outside. All so outside. what's the asphalt? Yeah, or- pretty much. Because you just need concrete and then you can paint the, the acrylic paint on the top. Um, and so I guess finally in August last year, I said yes. And I went down and I loved it. But that wasn't what was surprising to me. What was surprising was what I touched on earlier, that the people I was with aren't sports obsessed. I never really speak to them about sports. They were just friends. And they were talking about pickleball like I talk about other sports. And we could play like so easily with this random group of six people. When you go to tennis or play basketball or any of those sports, if you have a disparity in skill, it's just not fun mm. at all. Like completely, tennis, might, it especially. completely ruins the session if you play someone who's not as good as you. In pickleball, there's still obviously disparities in skill, but the difference is in doubles especially, it's just much less of an issue and people can pick it up so much easier, easier and they improve so much quicker that by the end of your first session – 
you can be pretty even with decently athletic people. And then from there, you've had an amazing time. And that was, to me, interesting. But I didn't think much about it until a few months later when I started to look into it in Australia. And then I started to remember those moments and those thoughts that I had when I first played pickleball and started to think about it more from a business and commercial opportunity. And were they Americans? They were, yeah. And what? where did the sport come from? started in America in 1965 in Washington, the state, not Washington, D.C. Um, and it was invented by a guy who actually just had makeshift. He had a badminton-sized court and he just had makeshift stuff to create a paddle and these balls, and they created it from scratch, just hitting with the paddles and balls that we now know today. And the only reason it's called pickleball is because he had a dog named Pickles who would retrieve the balls for them. And that's the legitimate story. 1965, but it was not popular. It was only played in retirement homes or like by a very niche group of people until COVID. And it was as is, the core, the kitchen. Uh, Yeah, yeah, everything was roughly the same. he came up with that. Yeah, I think a, a few of those progressions happened over the next 20 years from like 1965 to 1985. But the sport hasn't changed at all from a period. It's just it was very much a niche sport and there wasn't enough courts. It was played on indoor um, facilities where people would tape them up or just use badminton courts. And then how did – what was the surgeon – like where did it come from? Well, this is what I was really interested in. I'm like, how can a sport being invented in 1965 be barely known by anyone in the world – and then suddenly become the number one participated sport this year in America. Like, how does that happen? Sure. Is it number one participated sport? Number one participated sport, yeah. 51 million people yeah. have ever tried it. Yeah. In the US. In the US, which is insane. It's like, and it's already overtaken tennis on like the Apple Watch and all the fitness apps of, of usage. Wow. Which is crazy considering still, if you walk around the streets in Australia, 93 people couldn't tell you what it is. Out of 100. As in they wouldn't have heard of it. They wouldn't have heard of it. Or they might have heard of it or they confused it for something else. It's still not there in a lot of places around the world. But what changed is I looked into it and two things changed. Infrastructure and marketing. For a sport to or anything to be able to take off, you need dedicated centres. You can't be playing a sport at 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. on a Wednesday every week for that sport to take off. That's sort of what pickleball was. Come and play and we'll do it only at this time because otherwise it normally has to be a tennis court or a netball court or a basketball court. So more and more dedicated centres that looked good, like had proper painted lines and, and everything, and then marketing. So instead of marketing it as a retirement village sport, which it was for so long, market it to... Younger people as well, they're going to love it just as much and make it look cool and start trying to pitch it to sports centre and other places and suddenly got marketed as being a cooler sport than what it always was. And the videos that were being shown were on dedicated courts because previously, and even in Australia, one of my biggest pet peeves or the opportunity I saw was that these photos are taken of pickleball and they just look so average. You have in the background like a scout hole and all the lines on the court and it like looks like your primary school that grew up. No one's looking at that on social media or in the paper or on TV and going, I have to go and try that sport. But if you walk into a facility like this or somewhere that looks good and you see people smiling and having fun, which they are, and it 
suddenly looks like, oh, wait, they have their own courts. They have their own centers. They have their own facilities. Maybe I should try that. Wow, that's much cooler than what I thought it was. You might give the sport a go. And that's the whole premise behind why we even started this business is that it just needed a, it needs a brand. It needs a glow up, as they say. And that's what it got three years ago in the US. And who was doing that? I don't know if it was one person specifically. It just a trend started where pickleball became cooler and content that was produced around pickleball was much cooler. Like I even started to see it just pop up randomly. And then young like friends, like I was just describing, be like, come and play. It's this new sport. It's actually really fun. It's a silly name, but you'll really like it. And skeptics like me took time, but then eventually once you try it once, you do want to come back and play it. And what's addictive about it is that you now have this huge pool of people to play it. If one other person's played it, then you know you'll be able to play it with them again. Yeah. 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 And now it's to the point where it's like a meme. Like I sent you that video and yeah. you like like 50 people have sent me this. Yeah. About it, it's exactly. Like taking the piss out of like your classic. The yeah. American guy who plays. Plays it, yeah. And the whole, um, in that video you sent me, that whole, I'm not going to like the sport, through to, all right, I'll try it, through to, this was better than I thought, through to, I'm not going to play this once a week, through to, this could be the number one activity I do with my friends moving forward, is that transition that we and others who invest in this space outside of America yeah. need to take the customer on that journey so that we create this pickleball industry that I know can exist, but it's still probably a couple of years away from, from finding its feet in Australia. Mm. So interesting. I was just thinking how it can grow so quickly because it's a thing that you do and you talk about. So it's like how, learning about paddle in in London. It's like if you know a European, like it's like what are you doing this weekend? And then it's like playing paddle. Like you just hear like, oh, paddle is a thing that people do. Yeah. So, and then you, it comes into your awareness and it's like that. Well, it's, it's, it is that, you know, at the end of the day, it's that sheep-ish mentality or FOMO, which is what we're trying to create. It's like, if enough people have done it or are speaking about it, you will eventually try it, especially if they're your closer friends or people you respect or suddenly you see an athlete or someone that you follow or whatever yeah. and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should. So it's exactly the same. And I think that's why paddles also grown so quickly in Europe. It's the exact same philosophy that you just described. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So were you thinking, so you knew when you left, you were going to start something. Yeah. Was it going to be to do with sports? Not necessarily. No. In fact, no, I mean, look, I do think there is a real benefit of, starting things in areas that you're interested in because the passion's already there. I think one of the biggest keys to success for mine is you need to be hardworking, I, I think, always, but you also need to be really passionate about what you do because it's twofold. One, it makes you work harder, but two, other people that you speak to about it, they then get infected by that passion. So one thing I realized at PointsBet and even now at the National Pickleball League, when people do give compliments or like, oh, this marketing's amazing or whatever. And I'm like, this is, there's one key thing that I've realized is I'm just marketing to myself. 
like I'm simplified my jobs over the last 10 years and may wake, I wake up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I pretty much am marketing to me and then the female version. But like that's how simple it can be. And I guess therefore, to answer your question, I gravitate probably to things that I'm interested in and I like and it means that naturally I'll put in so much more effort and passion and sport is one of those things. So it wasn't me coming back and going, I have to go back into sport. It was more I have to do a startup, which is another passion and I have Mm -hmm. to bring something new and exciting, which is another passion. But in the end, because I was looking into sport and sport's already a love, it ended up being a a natural fit. Interesting because then that means you're emotionally invested in whether it succeeds or not because you – because I was just – the last episode was with someone who's like had this entrepreneurial journey and it's for a product that it's like nothing. He knew nothing about which made it easier because when it doesn't sell, like he's not not the customer. So then he just has to think about it. But I guess your energy probably works with that because you're like very charismatic and – yeah, I think it's. I, I think there's. So one of the big downsides of doing things you're passionate about is that you look at things through one very clear lens, and you think that everyone thinks like you. While in that example of this this entrepreneur, like it's actually such a benefit to not be in it because you can actually take yourself out of the industry and be a genuine outsider. And I'm not an outsider because I love sport. But then on the flip side, because I am also in the target demographic, it's not just the passion for both of the my last companies, including this one, we are targeting the 20 to 45 demographic and I'm still sneaking into that uh, demographic. So I think there is that benefit where just I naturally think about what I think would be cool or would work well and then a lot of those ideas, not all of them, could apply. To this now, what I think is critical, based on your point, is that that might work with me and then a few others. But you need to surround yourself with people that have very different opinions, which I have. There's a couple you met today, um, but then also you do need to have strong, I guess, advisors that don't live and breathe your product, so they can tell you it from a completely outsider's perspective. Yeah, which is really important. And I guess you're pretty resilient. Like if something's not working, you're not going to take it too personally. No, I don't. Like I'd love to win. I'm driven by – I'm very driven, but I don't dwell on anything. Like I'll be upset for a couple of hours and then the next thought is like, okay, how do I – that didn't work. So what? Um, and I guess you just, you get better at that. That's probably one of the things I spoke to you in my first, in our first episode is about blocking out, you know, is this sort of similar to, does everyone like me or does everyone think everything I do is successful? When you change your thought and realize that you're not going to be successful with everything and actually owning up to that and still, you know, being enough, having enough success in most of the things that you do, that's enough. Um, and yeah, I still can take things to heart like anyone else. It's not like I don't. And like sometimes when you're really confident about something and then you get proven wrong, it's, you know, that's, that's not an amazing feeling, but the more and more that happens, the less and less it impacts you. Um, and the more it just drives me in particular to just be better. I'm like, well, I didn't, 
I didn't analyze this situation right. I got this one completely wrong. Why? And nearly always you can find the root of why. And sometimes it's your overconfidence, arrogance or whatever you want to call it to think that you know everything and as soon as you realize that you don't but you're allowed to have strong opinions and you're allowed to back yourself and you're still allowed to get it wrong and then you're allowed to back yourself the next decision even if you got the last decision wrong as long as most of the decisions are in your favor yeah and you're learning you're learning from them and you're not you know you're still getting more things right than wrong you can move forward yeah. And as opposed to thinking that every, you know, failure, then, oh, I should pull back and be less confident on things. And, yes, sometimes that's the case as well. It's like, hey, you needed to do more research there. Then other times, though, and this is the hardest part, is sometimes, with, especially with startups, is you do have to go with your gut quite a bit. And, um, and gut only works with experience. Gut's great as a concept and a thought. But suddenly what your parents told you and like other people who are older than you, like, and they say, you'll, you'll figure it out or you'll know what we're talking about when you're this age. That starts to make sense as you get older because it's just experiences. It's just a lot of failures have happened and a lot of successes have happened. And you've combined both of those things together. And it means every time you're making a decision next, you're just drawing on a larger subset of things that you've done in the past. And I like to do a million things. So the subset is just pretty big and it's still not close to where it needs to be for me to actually make every decision a good one. But it's much better than what it was six years ago or eight years ago when I started at PointsBet and it was fast forwarded due to the amount of decisions I needed to make. But that's probably an example about you leaving EY to go and pursue something that you just felt was right. And everyone can be like, this is a bad decision, but when you... Like sometimes it's like there is this voice that's like, no, I just have to follow that. And yeah. it's not a, it's never going to be a mistake because you're listening to yourself. Yeah, you're listening to yourself and you're doing it, if you're doing it for the right reasons, like what I mean by that is that this is what makes me happy and motivates me. That's a good enough reason to do it. Even if it's not financial driven and it's not X driven. At the end of the day, like the way I look at it is when I wake that first thought you have when you wake up i want that thought to be a positive thought more days than it isn't in a year and then it's been a fantastic year and what i mean by that is like i've had an incredibly stressful even few weeks let's say getting this venue up and running but still when i wake up while there might be the stress of wow there's so much to do there's still that excitement still of wow i'm only thinking when things can get negative is when you wake up and your first thought is like negative can't believe I have to do that or I'm dreading doing that. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to get out of bed. But when you can flip it, so you're still going to be stressed about things, that's not going to change, but you overwhelmingly still have a positive mindset for the day, that's when, you know, you're going and you're trusting your gut about something that you're interested in doing. So, yeah, and I think the key thing is is that everyone's different. Like what I love about even like some of the people I'm still close with with EY, like Benny was on and – and others is that we are different and we're motivated by different things and we can take completely different paths and still be equally as happy in different ways. I need to be stimulated all the time. Other people need stability. We go this completely different path, but hopefully we reach the same level of content 
ness about ourselves. And once you appreciate that, I'm not telling them that what they're doing is wrong and they're not telling me what we're doing wrong. We're both fascinated by each other's lives because it's different. And do you ever get into a thing of like, huh, should I be following a different path? No, never anymore. Like I'm pretty, I'm too far down uh, this path. Like maybe six, five, six years ago. I think this year the, 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 there has been some self-doubt very sporadic, but it's because it's the first time where I've done something where the final buck stops with me. And that's a different type of responsibility that I just never experienced before. So, of course, it's going to feel weird and a bit scary. And some days, because I'm so self-driven, if I fail, I can cop it. But when you convince people to come along for the ride, which you do in a startup like this, what I found the trickiest this year, the real moments where, I'm, you know, you have that not feeling or like that, oh, shit, what am I doing, was like, okay, well, if this fails, it's not like I've convinced other people to come along. Like, of course, they're going to be okay, but it's this very different feeling when you have the pressure of other people and not just yourself. Because yeah. when you're doing, you know, you're working your own business uh, for someone else's business, at the end of the day, the buck stops with them and... If you quit, they're going to replace you or whatever. But when you are somewhat responsible for other people because it was, you know, you are the, the final decision maker, there are days where you're like, doubt yourself and that's fine. But then you're like, wow, okay, well, it's not just me now. Like, and so that's been an interesting thing to navigate. So how many other people are involved now? Four others are involved okay. in different capacities. So what? So what are the biggest challenges been? Or what's basically, what's the process been from you were thinking about it, kind of doing it on the side yeah, to where it is now? The starting point is brand. And this is a branding exercise. Is, is creating like what is the vision of what it's going to look like externally. For me, any business you do at the start is a fake it till you make it. And the only way you fake it is if it looks good externally. What you need to do when you start a business is to convince the world that doesn't know anything about your business that your business is bigger and better than it actually is. I don't care what you do. That is the key thing to start it. And so for me, that was the starting point is, hey, getting this creative person that I used to work with as I can't do that. I've got the great ideas, but I don't have any creative Photoshop, video editing, branding ability, creating that brand. We created the logo and the colors from day one. And then from there, it was like, how do we start to build a brand? You know, it looks so good that I'm like, thought it's like the, I guess that's the idea that it looks like it's like the official thing to do with Pickleball. And the name as well is like, makes people think it's super official. That's it. And that was part of the choice at the start. Like now we are proving and doing things that the National Pickleball League should do. But when I first registered that name, it was just me on a website. Like we hadn't done anything and like we just created a logo and I chose between, you know, there was Australian Pickleball League, it was Pickleball League, but like I, I registered 10 business names and in the end we did a debate between the three of us at the time that were talking about this and we chose one, we chose a logo and then we said we need to start creating content because like I said, you need to appear to be bigger than what you are. So the first thing was like, okay, how do we actually get content out there that makes us not just seem like we're the National Pickleball League? It starts to actually build a persona. And you, 
you just knew that intuitively? I've got, it's just mar- marketing background. So having done re- all the retention and customer marketing at PointsBet for the last seven years, it was part of a degree and having a marketing passion, I guess that intuitively or, or learnt, you know, over the bit, how important it is to get your brand right and brand perception, not actual brand reality. The key is the biggest delta you can possibly create at the start between what your brand really is and what it's perceived to be. Um, okay. And, then and they, you, love, you love making content as well. I like making content. I'm and just thinking, this, sorry, this is so helpful for my podcast. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but I feel like I intuitively do it by bit. It's like, oh, yeah, I have this podcast, like, how to form a prime minister and blah, blah, blah. And then people straight away, like, oh, my God, it's this, like, huge deal. How many people in your team? And it's like, yeah. Exactly that. But that's the point is that we could run the best tournaments in the world if no one knew about them or cared about them. It doesn't mean anything. Which is sad in a way, but eventually those lines connect. And what I mean by that is like the quality of your product eventually needs to be yeah. good. But yeah. at the start, that's actually not the most important. It's what is the perception of your brand. And then eventually once a lot of people come on board and start listening to your podcast or start playing pickleball with you, then you need to still serve them a really good product. Otherwise, they're not going to be retained customers. If they didn't enjoy the podcast they listened to, even if they did hear that there was a prime minister and these big CEOs and big wigs, if they didn't enjoy one, they might not listen to the other. So yep. you still need the product to get there. Yeah, and if it's a complete fraud, like it will eventually be. Eventually. Out. But that explains how things can become like huge phenomena. They can. And it's like Absolutely. In early days, I was talking as if we're the National Pickleball League, but really we had nothing to back that up apart from we'd run one event in Welcome to Thornbury. That's how it started. I learned to play Pickleball Day. We blocked out the bar area in Welcome to Thornbury. What's Welcome to Thornbury? It's like a bar, an outdoor bar area in, in Northcote. And you like taped the ground? We taped the ground and we, they moved the food trucks out. I, I was funny. I actually screenshotted to the boys the other day. I posted about it. It was February 26th. I'll never forget it. Our first ever event. And we we just had one court there and we did this little partnership with them. They posted on their social media. We got probably 150 people through all learning to play, but we got a videographer there. Wait, you got 150 people there? How? Through because they the, the beauty of it is they already had thoroughfare because they're a bar that's open on Saturday anyway. And then they advertised it on their social media too. And so people dressed to play? No, but they came knowing that they can just have their food and drink that they normally do in like a beer garden, which is what it is, and that this National Pickleball League is setting up one court there. And did you know the people there? We knew, like, let's say out of the 150 people, maybe 50 were our friends. No, I mean the people running the bar. Like, why did they agree to it? Friend of a friend. And, And this is another theme that is just the reality of it, but... One of the massive things I've had to finally lean on is this huge social network that I've built over the last 15 years of travel and being a relatively social person. Suddenly, for the first time ever, those became business contacts. No, so that came from your parents as well. You said yeah. in the first episode that they encouraged you when you were leaving EY. It's like you have this network yep. that we as immigrants don't no, have. have yeah. So like use the footy club. Yep, and whatever. I did. And so, like, even one of our connections, it was just a friend of a friend who introduced us to Welcome to Thornbury. And that allowed us to do it for free because it was a friend of a friend. 
And then what we did that was different is this random event, we paid a videographer for a full day. That content lasted us three months from one event. Huh. That's expensive to get a videographer. It is. Right? It cost us $1,000. Mm-hmm. But really the benefits was I was able to start a whole business and raise money based largely on one day event. Now we did social leagues after that and we started to build momentum, but the social leagues were done in a, in a facility that I was explaining earlier that made pickleball look poor. It was my old high school. We took some photos, uploaded them to Instagram and realized this actually hurts pickleball and hurts our brand, even though we're doing the right thing by spreading the word. So really we had to create our own little content and rely on that original content that looked amazing. So was he making the content? Um, no, one of well, the guys, guys one of the guys that, um, that I started the business with. With, with a, it was two of your friends. Yeah, two, of your, two friends. of your friends. One of them was making all the content and we were just taking different bits of it and turning it into posters and advertising social leagues and doing fun facts and creating a bit of a media and website profile. On Instagram? Instagram mainly. Instagram's TikTok. our number one fa- focus, not TikTok yet. That's next year, 2024. We just haven't had the time to post to commit to TikTok, I need to know we're going to post daily and we just don't have that bandwidth right now. But website, we created a really good website. Once again, this is your shop front. It's like where people, they hear about you, they're going to search your website and in this day and age, our target demographic is going to be on Instagram. So we had to make Instagram look really good and we had to make our website look really good. That's That was the starting point. And the traffic to the website is literally from people hearing about it. And Correct. Google like Pickleball Australia. Yeah, Pickleball Melbourne, up. where to play, Pickleball League, Pickleball Venue. Our traffic, like and all of these things take so much time. Like the, the starting bit, which I love, is quite painful because you're like you're posting these things and, you know, it's when you have 200 followers and, you know, it's hit and miss and you just got to keep doing it because then you get up. And then there's this snowball effect. Like we're still not even close to where we want to be, but we had 2,000 people visit our website over last week. After, you know, which is incredible from where we came from running this random event on February 26th this year. But it's the hard work from February to October that then leads to that one week in November having that traffic, even though it might seem it's the recent stuff that you've done. It's all part of the the journey together. And so back in Feb when this was starting, were you like, could be this, could be other stuff, or you were pretty, you were like... No, it was, we were like, we didn't really know. We knew that we needed to start a league or a name that had credibility and that we wanted to create a brand, like that we wanted to create something that would be bigger than the actual league. It's much more of a marketing play because what I saw was unique about the sport was not necessarily the professional aspect of the sport, it was the community and social aspect and the fact that it appealed to so many people. So... But on the flip side, who cares if I call it Ron Pickleball or Delia Pickleball? Like, but if I'm called the National Pickleball League, you enter conversations earlier that you probably don't deserve to be in at that time. And so the thought was start the National Pickleball League, start running stuff so that at least, you know, you're not a complete fraud, like you said, like you're not just the name. So we ran social leagues, we ran pop up no, events. I mean, a fraud is in an actual fraud. Yeah, yeah, correct. To doing <laughs> like, a fraudulent, um, you know, a like, crime. FTX. Yeah. But what we did is started to just run multiple events and then start to really strategize and think and realize, okay, well, cool. In the National Pickleball League, we have all of these future plans to expand, but for now we need to actually be a national league. So we have to run tournaments in cities outside of our home city. And so eventually that, 
I guess what I'm trying to say to your question is that it's sort of naturally you, you start doing things like you run the learn to play, you run a social league, you start to invest a bit more time, then you start to think about strategy a bit more, then you start to get a plan. So I would say our plan in February wasn't clear. Our plan in July when we were raising money and we'd had four months to think about it and we realised we needed to run tournaments and actually create the National Pickleball League properly, started to formulate. Yeah, but I mean back in Feb, were you thinking like business-wise you might start something else or like... Good question. Or were you pretty committed to this I was pretty committed to this now. Like in December, Jan, maybe that my mind was still wandering, but once we ran this event... I'd welcome to Thornbury and then it got into March. I was like, I started to realize I was already putting 30 hours a week in. And I'm like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just going to do it all in. I can't commit to anything else. Mm. And so that's why so soon after that, I was like, because I was still working three days a week, I'm like, I can't do both. So April, I was like, that's it. This is this is it. And the other two guys were fully committed? No. So that's been part of the challenges is that, Especially when you get into your early 30s, it's very different to when you're 24, 25 and, you know, you say yes to everything and there's no worries or stresses. And But now everyone's at a completely different life stage. Some people live overseas. Some people still have a full-time job. Some people just having their kids. Some people between moving cities. Some people have stuff going on with their families. It could be anything. So at the time in April, was one other guy fully committed but even then, we're not getting paid or anything. So you're working as hard as you push yourselves. And then two other guys are part-time. But that part-time could range from zero hours in a week because they have other jobs and other things to 10, 15, 20 hours. So I guess that's one of the hard, really hard challenges and why I think and I admire people who do startups and I also understand why people don't. Is like it is super hard when people are on different commitment levels because it's not their fault but there is this difference of how much each person is contributing and that can that causes a you don't know what you're going to get and b it's just not a normal work environment so it requires a lot of trust and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of open conversations um, to have with people and also the right people who want to come along for a ride that can be bumpy, you know, along the way. Yeah. Okay, so so raising money. Yeah. Business plan. Yeah. So is this what you're getting to that it's like licensing the brand so people can run events? Yeah, no. It, it's, it's, it's creating the number one brand in Australia. That's We want to elevate the game. And what I mean by that is that if you're thinking about pickleball, you're playing pickleball, you're digesting pickleball, you're doing it via the National Pickleball League. But and but that's the revenue model. The, re- than- the revenue model is an interesting one because revenue exists when an industry exists. The industry doesn't exist yet, but we're trying to get in early and be the formative, preeminent brand of the industry. Where you earn revenue in 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 my opinion, here is A, and why we did it is venues. If you can get them right, they can become uh, profitable. B is brand sponsorship and collaborations. For me, that's the most upside of Pickleball. Why I was really motivated to get into it was not to create necessarily a professional league. 
the National Pickleball League. It was because what I saw was this opportunity that theoretically there's not one brand in the world that we couldn't work with because we don't alienate male, female, mixed gender, um, 80-year-olds, 16-year-olds. It's that one sport that I've never seen before, one activity where theoretically every single brand that exists in the world could be a partner. For me, that upside as someone who loves marketing is fascinating and that's going to be a big part of sponsorship and brand collaborations. That's a second revenue stream. And the third and more unknown revenue stream is around the actual tournaments and professional side of it. For that to become a revenue stream, it needs to absolutely take off. Yeah. Now, you need eyeballs to get streaming deals, to get bigger sponsorships, to get ticket sales. That stuff is what we're going to commit to. We're going to run a league next year and we're going to commit to that over the next five years. But that's an unknown, whether people will come and pay money to watch Pickleball. That's the big debate in America right now. Everyone thinks commercially. The other areas that we're not in yet, paddles, like is an incredible revenue stream if you get it right, and merchandise. But we, if we create a brand that everyone loves, then you can spin off into other things. That's always been my philosophies. I couldn't go out there immediately and sell a, a paddle that anyone would care about. If MPL is the biggest league and the biggest venue provider in Australia in two years, when we produce a paddle or merch, it'll be much easier to sell it then than from day one. So that's why it's important what, to do you that. make your own paddles? Or Eventually. Just... No, like that's, that's long-term, but yeah, 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 yeah. why not? Um, the, the community aspect, though, is the other revenue model, is the fact that you can create these massive social leagues and communities where people play to play and pay to be around or pay to sit at the bar and have food. Like we've, I was telling you this earlier, but we're planning to run hopefully two or three corporate or social events a week in our venue because it's such a sport suited to that. And I think that can become, that is potentially the number one revenue stream if you do pickleball right. Yeah. Yeah. Corporate events. Because, yeah, obviously you rent out the courts. Rent out the courts, but then you have this area where people just hang and talk huh. and they've done what, something. And they would pay well, they entry pay, or something. Well, it's like, you know, even on the weekend, we just had a group of 25 people, 12 kids, 13 adults. They just rented out the space. So, yeah, they played pickleball for. A oh, my God, that's like, have you had a shuffle? Shuffleboard or something? Shuffle? No, as in the game Shuffleboard, or is it no, like the a thing in the US? That was a thing. We'd go to this place in Brooklyn yeah. just to hang out. Oh, it's like bowling. Yeah, like ex- exactly, exactly like that. AMF in the nineties. Remember, like growing up, like going to the bowling alley, the birthday parties, the fries, the hot dogs, the the machines. That, but with something that's even better for you. And so for me. What I'm trying to market is this is the most social sport in the world, but remember you're also doing something amazing for you when you play it. Like it's health and wellness and fitness. And so can you create a movement? Now, movement's a huge word. Revolution, even bigger word. Whatever the level below those two levels is what I want to create, which I think is community. But can you create... Go for a movement. Go for a movement. I think think we can create a movement. I think revolution (laughs) requires a tiny bit more... Yeah, maybe (laughs) violence and maybe something that's actually earth-shattering and earth-changing. But I think movement is a possibility if us and many others get it right. Like, there is so much potential in this sport 
from a from a community and movement standpoint. It just needs the eyeballs, the awareness, and the right collaborations. And for me, that's it. It's a marketing exercise. How do we market pickleball so that everyone wants to play and wants to get involved? And when they're watching our events or when they see you post the photo from our venue, they're like, what is that green place? Why is everyone smiling there? Is that person having a wine in the background? Like, I've never seen something like this. And so that's that's the vision, the FOMO of not being there. And eventually it's not FOMO because the majority of the country and your friends and social groups are doing it. Amazing. And that is so exciting. You get to experiment with all the things you can do. Like I was thinking when you're talking about the court service, I had a guest on um, who was like a a tennis coach, Doug Grant, and he was on the tour, but he went on to be like, it for tennis he went on to be like i want to learn, see what they're doing in the u.s with tennis like this was back when australia it was like so amateur and then it, like to what it's grown into it's like crazy. crazy but he's like look so it's like they did so many things like coaching then it's like court like now he does court care that's his main thing is looking after all the tennis courts amazing but he did retail at one point he did it's like there's all these diff, you know worked at the events like so many well, well that's it and like tennis created this huge community and that's why as well and it's interesting you mentioned Doug like we realised that and, and that's why we targeted we brought on someone last week who was the ex-CEO of Tennis Australia Steve Wood the board member now of NPL and what he was so passionate about when we were speaking to him through this process of convincing him to come on board is when he was at Tennis Australia from 2005 to 2013, he was the one that championed this incredible growth. The blue, you know how you said you think this is the official colour? He brought in that blue that we now associate Australian Open and tennis courts with and he created this affiliate network of coaches that then became these huge advocates for the sport and the tentacles of tennis became part of Australia everywhere you go. What was the passion there was the experimenting to create communities. It's The sport is the vehicle. The community is what then drives actually revenue to the sport. Um, and so that's where tennis did such a good job and that we're hoping to learn from that for an even more accessible sport that might never actually be the level of premium. Like t- tennis will always have the grand slams and always have proper – and I think it should never lose that. Pickleball is the little cousin or little sister or little brother, but it can follow the same community outreach path. And so do they have the competitions? Like Paddle has proper competitions that are televised and like professional. Like yeah, so I mean America, yeah. There's two major professional leagues. Wow. Um, the MLP and um, the PPA. Um, and they are proper professional. And over the last year, those players are getting paid nowhere near like a NBA or NFL or MLB, but similar to like an Australian rules really? football. It's crazy. In the last 12 to 14 months, these players who have been playing professionally, but really like no one knew about them and they're just playing in a small group, are now actually playing professionally. Now, that's part of what we're – a third pillar of our business is the actual league, the National Pickleball League, which launches in March next year. But the view there is it takes time. Like 
yes, like we, our tournaments are professional tournaments. We've run three. But really, and they were streamed, but like they're not being shown on any uh, TV channels or anything. And next year when we launch this league, we're going to stream and broadcast to our own OTT platform. But that's a starting point. It's the incumbent year of the league. Eventually, you do want, even by this next season in August or 2025, that maybe it's on a well-known sports online platform. Maybe it is streamed directly to YouTube and a specific sports channel. And then maybe in 2027 or something, these when you could start thinking about, hey, this might actually be on Australian TV at some point. Everyone's got this vision now that is getting into pickleball that 2032 Brisbane is because it missed out at LA, which is a bit of a surprise. They announced six new sports into LA 2028 and pickleball wasn't one of them. And America pushed really hard, which was a surprise it didn't get in. But now all the sites are on Brisbane 2032, which is in our, you know, in our um, backyard. So, um, and, and if, if it does get accepted as an Olympic sport, the credit, that's credibility number one. You don't even have to do anything. It will be on TV. Yeah. You know, so it's got, a, it's just got a longer path. And that's why we need to be realistic about our league. We're going to give it an amazing, we're going to create an amazing league. I'm going to market content. We've got an amazing team that are going to make it so cool. But how many people are going to watch next year? If we get to 20,000, that's a good result. But then by the next season, I'd love it to be 50 or 100. And it's just you've got to start somewhere. But the professional league will take two, three, four years, just like it did in the US, where the last event they held, as an example for you, was I think there was something like two, 2 million um, American viewers, which wow. is huge, but still nowhere near, you know, the other mainstream sports. And are the player, the athletes in the US, are they like from other sports or they came up through the, pickleball? Most of them have come up through pickleball, but like 50% of them have an ex-tennis background. And then there's big tennis players like Jack Sock, who was a big tennis player, Sam Querrey, John Isner. They're, they're moving to pickleball now because they can't, in tennis, and this is one of the big things for us that makes it so exciting, if you're not in the top 10, 20, 50, like what we hear from everyone is it's really hard to make money on the tour. There's almost more money in pickleball immediately right now because it's just such a boom and there's so much investment in the sport. So, yes, a lot of these tennis players that are well-known are coming in, but then the pickleball athletes, a large majority have, you know, they were a good junior tennis player. It's not a requirement because there's still that 40% that weren't, but it definitely does help. Like there's a lot of transferable skills and there's also that mindset that we're trying to imply into Australia is that there's a lot of gun juniors. You would have known gun junior tennis players growing up who never made it. Those players now are the National Pickleball League's number one target because they can, not all of them, but a lot of them can make it in pickleball and earn a living over the next few years once it grows to where it needs to grow. So for them, it's like you've got to convince them that's not a joke. Yes, exactly. How do I do that? With an actual venue, with a nice content. Like over the last six months, even in Australia, which is still tiny, a lot of medals have been won in some of our tournaments, including ours and others that have been tennis players who picked up the sport four months ago. And that's the new wave. But it's still like quite fun. Or does it get serious? It gets really serious. In fact, you'd be shocked. I'd warn you to come back when there's a tournament one time. 
pickleball players take things more seriously than any other sport I've ever seen. So, like, pedantic about things. And if they're listening, I'm doing everything I can to make your lives as great as possible. But it's the truth. They're very particular about everything. Even, like, when we put in these courts, I was so worried when we ran the tournament that people would come and be like, this doesn't play like an outdoor court. This is still not great. We didn't get one complaint, which is we've done so much research on that and everything. But we would have been told. And with you know, and you're told when things aren't run. There's a certain way. I I think because pickleball was such a small community for so long, it's like this is how we do things. Now I very much respect and love that, and we are opening and, and giving back. I think to the community as much as we can. What I say and what our mantra is is like, hey, we want to appease you guys, but we also want to make this sport cool for the 99% that aren't playing. So we need to find this middle ground. And that's part of our vision is when it's certainly not alienating. In fact, we obviously welcome the existing crew, but but we need to try and do new things because what's been done to date in Australia and in a lot of places around the world has led to very marginal growth. I want to see rocket ship hockey stick growth. Yeah. And so ra- raising money, was that about setting up the venue? Because obviously Mainly. it's expensive. It's an expensive the- commercial rent's not cheap. And I and so most of our funds have gone to the venue because we don't our marketing is mainly word of mouth and content. So really most of the funds are in the venue and when we potentially raise money again in the future, which is on the cards, that will also be further venue plays and potentially general expansion as we look to really infiltrate via affiliate clubs around the country and open venues in Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, second one in Melbourne. The reality is even in America, they did a stat the other day, they have $1 billion requirement of extra infrastructure to meet the current pickleball need. Oh, my God. And they have been going nuts for three years. So it's just like this phenomenon and it requires people to invest in infrastructure and we've gone out on a limb, raised money to create a brand and to showcase our brand via venues and what a venue does is gives you ultimate flexibility to do every single part or pillar of what we want to do yeah and how did you go raising money good it was very interesting doing it properly like i was half involved at at points bet but not really like just aware of what was going on to actually be doing it yourself it's a lot more tiring than what i thought you're essentially you know, you or you believe in something, you now have to really convince people to believe, put their hard earning. But I guess the benefit I had was that there was a lot of, let's call it, they call it a friends and family round that were always going to take the conversation because they believed in me enough or would always have that first conversation. So, And even give you advice on your pitch. Exactly right advice on the pitch and then introduce me this has been the great thing is that our first round of investment was 50% friends and family and then 50% introduced people who were strategic advisors or ex-athletes in the end but it only because of those initial conversations that I had and knowing you have like the friends and family round I guess when you do have the connections that I've been lucky enough to build is awesome because you're most likely going to get the funds to get it started. What I realized through the process was that I could actually relatively easily get the funds that we wanted, 
But I realized that friends and family are great and they're passive investors and they just let you do your own thing. But there's a reason why people get strategic yeah. investors because if you have the right people behind you selling your message, you have a much bigger um, microphone. You also have greater learnings. And so we changed our tune from like, hey, let's just keep this really easy and just go to people we know, one degree of separation, to, hey, let's get some of those funds from people we know and then let's explore some strategic investors and I'm really happy we made that decision because originally I was I believe wrongly of the opinion and everyone might have a different opinion that just keep things easy because as soon as you go outside of friends and family you have a lot more expectation there's a lot more pressure there's a lot more it's a lot harder to convince people but I think that's part of the process is you learn how to sell the business you learn what people who are not going to believe in you willy-nilly, what questions they ask, what are the holes they're going to pick, and you don't get that if you're just talking yeah. to friends and family. But you know other people, some people do the opposite where they don't want friends and family because they don't want people they know because that emotional Connection. thing or, or being like, oh, why aren't you working? Like, where's yeah. my money? <laughs> well, that's the good thing about that is I get that, but I am so obsessed with work and such a hard yeah, worker that I, it was just never going to be that yeah. problem. The only thing I would say about that is that there is that thing that it does add that tiny bit of a level of pressure that's different to external people that obviously you become friendly with, but you don't know them from a bar of soap, soap to begin. Yeah. Or I guess the like unsolicited advice of just like, why are you making that decision? Like yeah. if it's someone close to you and they yeah. know the decisions you're working through and it's their money. Yeah. Whereas someone where it's more arm's length, they're not. Yeah, I think they're not like in the kitchen. Yeah, telling you what to exactly. Do. <laughs> I think there's benefits to both though. At, at the very start, I think sometimes you just need to get started. Yeah, this is my thing, and then sometimes the easiest way to get started is with the people that will blindly believe in you, and then you can then bring on. You know, you're like, oh wow, maybe this wasn't the worst idea. We need more money, or we need more strategic advisors. Now I should bring on. You know, real people. So I think there's a benefit that unless you do have the funds, which some people do and don't to like really give things a go, is that you start, you know, from your easier source, the low-hanging fruit, and then progress your way up. But I think we found the right balance between low-hanging fruit and medium-hanging fruit. And how many people came into the round? Seven. Seven different investors. And how much equity did you get? 25%. Um and, and that's another really interesting thing going through this for the first time. Like you don't want to give up any equity, especially if you believe in the idea. And so in your mind as well, you're like, why don't I just use my funds or get the funds or get a loan or all these things? And they're good ideas. But once in you learn through this process and what I'm sharing is really, really basic stuff, but it's still something that I learned is that, yeah, you could get the funds yourself, but there's a whole reason why raising money exists and it's actually a lot more than the money itself and when you start to realize that it's not just about having the money in your bank because then you're just a guy with an idea with a tiny bit extra money what the raising process does is it teaches you so much about yourself the business how the external world looks at you and what future benefits you could get from bringing these investors in and you start to realize that yeah while it might be frustrating that you came up with this amazing idea that you think is going to be super successful and you need to give up a chunk of the business, 
That's how the world works. Um, and until you're super successful yourself and you can just start things based on your name and your own bank, that's how it is. Yeah. Or that's the approach you're going for because you're not trying to be like a one location gym that Correct. Makes money Correct. And if, and, and that's not a bad approach either. And sometimes, you know, I do look back, like, and I do admire people that just look to build a business and we're trying to reach profitability as soon as we can but who look to build a business that is as close to immediately profitable as possible and just churns out a very regular profit each year. Like there's something magical about that that the world went away from 20 years ago where it all became about valuations and pie in the sky. Now the world has shifted a bit more back to like, are you guys ever going to make money? And which I really like because that was the premise of business from day one, whenever it was caveman, medieval, and we moved so far away from that. And then COVID probably brought a lot of people back to like, hey, like, we're, you know, profitability is the number one indicator of business success, unless you're in tech, which can still get ridiculous valuation. Yeah. So, yeah, we, I guess, want to do both. And that's the thinking big and hoping for big. But, yeah, I assume if you're not doing that, then you don't necessarily need to raise as much money either. Yeah. So am I allowed to ask how much you raised? Um, no, <laughs> but okay. I think it's public knowledge, but I'm not going to share it. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Last question. Yeah. Cause fuck, sorry, we've gone over an hour. Sorry. Um, no, my yeah. fault. I feel like you just want to get back out. There. No, no. Well, I'm busy. technically on shift, but this is what I do. Just, um, yeah. Try and to mix a lot uniform. of, I mean, my shift uniform and I'm about to go and talk to our customers, you know, and. Learn that way. Learn by doing. Welcome. Yeah, exactly. Um, how has the how settling back in back home been? Happy to be here. What ready? Thinking you'll move overseas again one day. Um, I think Port NPL National Pickleball League has been has meant that it's it hasn't really mattered that much. If it makes sense, like I've devoted all my time to this now that. It was just about finding a routine um, moving back. And so I found a good groove. But really, that only happened once I fully invested in in, in Pickleball. And it's now like I've opened the venue in the hometown, so I have to be here. But I still see my life being similar to what I, My dream is still to live in a different place every three months for a year. Not like on repeat, like but have two, three, four places that you're based out of. And that's your life every year and I see if we expand to Sydney which I hope to I want to live there for six months of the year and so on so what's been interesting is that yeah everyone's life's been different like I touched on in, in the first but immersing myself in something means that it's it's actually not that hard to move back when it was hard was when I didn't have this from November even through to March you just feel like it's just so hard moving from the excitement of every day being in New York or overseas and everyone having this amazing energy to everyone's pretty set in their ways and you don't see people for three or four weeks sometimes, but that's okay. Finding the purpose again has meant that I don't think about that as much. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do you want to update your question, your three words from last time? What was the the question again? How I would describe myself? The best version of you. The best version of me. Um, I I actually don't remember the exact words as last time. I remember the themes. 
Um, I list, re-listened to the whole episode, but I stopped it right at the last three Yeah, questions. I think so I one of the – look, I'm not going to try guess. The, the best version of me is um, – and let's see how close it is to, to then. I hope it's really similar because I think those values – you hope to keep those values. Obviously, you want to keep improving, but um, is still present. I think being in the moment for every conversation, for every person, for every experience I have, like – Wanting to have that as a, as a as a number one trait, um, leave positivity, leaving people with a positive outcome of having spent time with you, exposed to you, they get something beneficial out of it. Not in a transactional way, but more like, hey, I was enriched slightly by that. Um, and then this is probably different, but yeah, humor. Like I just think I've seen this year more than ever over the last few years like we just the, the number one key to happiness is just laughing more and if we can put ourselves in positions where we're just laughing as much as possible and things aren't taken as seriously which is hard after what everyone's gone through and i probably had it a lot easier during covid and this huge change the world saw over the last few years but still my number one thing is leave people with laughter um, and that probably links to the first two. But, yeah, that's what I'd say. Amazing. Awesome. For the chat. No, thank you. Sorry it went so long, but can't wait to have you back on the courts. Pretty much 24-7. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel free to share it with someone. And also, um, a random 23-year-old just messaged me on Instagram and told me he found the podcast through the algorithm. So... It actually does help if you review the podcast and subscribe or follow. And then you get to find out about future episodes as well. Review or rate, you know what I mean. Anyway, it would truly make my day. So thank you in advance.